Hi, good evening. My name is uh, Alistair Caithness and welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. And today we're going to be speaking about wind energy, we're going to be speaking about solar power, we're going to speak about transition and energy, and we'll speak about our project energy tokens on the blockchain. So just kick things off, I'll bring in our two co-hosts, Dave and Shep. Hey Al. Hey Shep. Hey Al. Hey Dave. Yeah, nice hat you've got there tonight there, Shep. You know, showing your political allegiances on the line. Look, look at the big smile of Dave Rogers. Dave Rogers has got his Make American Great hat in the background as well, you know? Yeah, I don't think so. Right, perfect then. So let's just crack on with the show tonight. And we'll switch to our first thing of the evening. Dave, transition in energy. Ah, uh, so... I think we're back to talking a little bit about um, wind turbines. I know we talked about them on some prior podcasts, but Shep has been bringing some pretty good articles to the table here. Um, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about broad scale, long-term transition in energy from fossil fuels and, and how we're making that leap over um, to, you know, wind power, solar power, you know, in a, in a, in a larger sense, in a larger energy infrastructure sense. So this, this first story he brought to us tonight, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's a professor at a Stanford university, John DeBeardy, who's been working with a different profile for wind turbines. It's actually a, a vertical configuration. We get a little bit of, um, video here on it i can play in the background and and then uh, bounce out to shep here to give us a little bit more detail on what we're looking at um uh, well these little uh vertical wind turbines are uh basically uh so neat and they uh take up such little space and it really doesn't take uh much wind power whatsoever to uh generate the power potential of what these little uh turbines are capable of doing so I was reading a little bit about the article, and there's some interesting points here we can see in the video. And I know this is a demo setup that they've got going, you know, as the university tests out different things. But, but one thing they did point out was that these vertical turbines are portable. So they're able to be reconfigured depending upon, you know, uh, what kind of efficiencies they're getting out of them. And um, they also indicated that you know, unlike traditional turbines where you really have to space them out in order to avoid the wash from one turbine impacting another one, um, these vertical configurations actually become more efficient um, when they're closer together. They actually uh, benefit off of each other. Yeah, um, which it's really uh, close proximity to perpetuate uh, the wind and are supposed to be safer for birds. Uh, Bats produce less uh, noise pollution and uh, could be uh, used in efficiency um, in uh, urban areas because of their small size. Very cool. And Very cool. Today's wind turbines are the large uh, spread out uh, horizontal wind turbines. And they have to be uh, circumferentially uh, spread apart in such a displacency, unlike these little miniature wind turbines where they, they actually work more efficiently closer together. And the other point was that because they're vertical, 
they're independent of the wind direction. In other words, it doesn't matter. You don't have to orient them to always be facing the wind. Exactly. Um, because, yeah, just because of the configuration. That's yeah, pretty so ingenious. I've seen them in Holland before in quite a few places, you know, but it's, um, you know, how big are the farms that have created these things so far? Don't know. This one, as I said, this is a, a test out of out of um, the University of, of Stan Stanford University. There is another article that Chef did bring, though, of a, of a larger implementation that's going on out of Germany. And just bringing this up here, if you want to share that up, this is a, I think it's one of the largest turbine, vertical turbines that are out there. Exactly. Uh, this wind turbine is what they call the, the vertical sky A32. It has a diameter of 32 meters. It's 105 meters high. It's expected to produce uh, 750 kilowatts. The A32 wind turbine uh, will be the smallest uh, product in a series of wind turbines ranging from a 750 kilowatt uh, to 1.5 megawatts. Real-time rotor blade pitch control means an active uh, continuous blade adjustments, which allows for high efficiency and low rotation speed. Therefore, the rotor blades are always at optimum angle of attack of the incoming airflow. Uh, right. The video shows that the test run um, in a fixed pitch mode um, update, uh, updated 24th of November. Um talks about the slower impeller speed and it doesn't really matter unilaterally which way the wind is blowing they still generate power any which way they turn right which is so amazing so that it gets that benefit from being vertical but as you mentioned you know because it is a much more elaborate you know setup here it's much larger and it's and it's more intricate they do have the articulating blades which makes it a little bit different from the earlier project we were looking at and which, as you said, in addition to the fact that it's vertical and you know is independent wind direction, you can fine tune the efficiency by articulating those those vertical blades to give you the angle of attack that you need to 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 again get optimal power out of it. Exactly, uh, and it doesn't matter exactly which way the wind is blowing; it they will generate power. Beautiful. And then there was a third item that you um, brought to the table this week, again, keeping on the theme of, of wind energy um, in terms of end of life, right? So now we're going to be looking at a wind energy project that's happening in my old country, Scotland. It's actually with the university students from the University of Strathclyde, which is your premier university in Glasgow. So Glasgow itself, for a bit of background, is obviously one of the oldest cities in the world, famous for their two football teams that are split by religion, one Protestant, one Catholic, Celtic and Rangers, soccer teams. People in America don't realise that if you get religion involved in something in uh, sports, that's where you get real hatred involved. You know? <laughs> so anyway, but the project these guys are working on is really, you know, it's, it's cutting edge, state of the art, really exciting and what are they really trying to do is they're trying to you know we're creating all this wind turbines these wind turbines are getting built but you know everything's got a shelf life and when it comes to the end of its shelf life like anything else 
you know, part of the concern with all these wind turbines were you're going to start putting them to landfills because you can't really use the resins and that for other use cases. Well, you can until now. So let me leave Dave and Shet to give you a bit of an, uh, uh, background to the project. So, yeah. So, Al, that was good lead up to this. So essentially, yeah, this, I mean, again, the big problem, right? We, you know, we're trying to, you know, move in this direction of, you know, green energy and, and reducing the carbon footprint. And as you said, you know, it makes no sense to, you know, to have a green solution that, you know, at the end of life that you're going to wind up having to, you know, toss it into a landfill. Um, so uh, the, the students came up with this, a different way forward for this. And so, I mean, I'll pitch out to, you know, to Shep for some of the details on this and, and what the university students are doing in terms of, of converting um, the end of life usefulness of these turbines. Uh, yes, uh, these wind turbines, uh, students of a uh, university in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, have came up with a revolutionary idea of breaking down the, the material itemization of what the wind turbine blades are made out of and due to their high consistency of uh, carbon uh, fiber componency of Kevlar and different fiberglass components, they have came up with an idea with chemistry of breaking down the components and recycling them and reutilizing them in not only uh, bulletproof vests, but canoes, um, surfboards, skateboards, bicycles, uh, another thing, or anything that has to do with the componency of uh, fiberglass uh, high tensile strength uh, polymers such as uh, Kevlar. And they've got different uh, varying degrees of layers of what each blade consists of. And that's why they have such high tensile strength when they blow in the wind to begin with and the forthwith. And it's uh, pretty amazing and it uh, actually lessens our carbon footprint as whereas in any other uh, time or place, uh, the wind turbine blades would be decommissioned and basically disposed of in a landfill someplace, which I think uh, is pretty amazing what they're doing. Yeah, it's cool. So I look at the picture there. This guy's out there. Um, don't know what that's got to do when he's climbing up the end of a wind blade right now then, Dave, you know? I don't know. I'm just wondering how he got there. That's an amazing picture. He's just, he's just it is. strapped to the end of that blade. Mm -hmm. You know, wh wh I used to be a season ticket holder for Aberdeen. So one of the, when we used to follow the soccer team, you know, you'd obviously, football team. In Scotland, you're not allowed to call it soccer, by the way. It's only over here that you have to do that. But then we would sing like songs. So, you know, they have a lot, everyone would have their songs. And then, so people from Glasgow, we'd always sing this song. They'd go, you are a Ouija, a dirty Ouija, you're only happy. On gyro day, your pa's a stealer, your ma's a dealer. Please don't take my hubcaps away. And then we all start singing. And there we go. That's that's a, a famous song that we would sing every time that we come to play. You know, I like the bit how your dad's a stealer. Do you want to translate any of that, or do you understand most of it? Gyro day is sort of day you get your social security check. You know. Because the joke is that people down there don't work, you know. So it's high unemployment, you know. So you're only happy in gyro day, and then you know the rest of it. You can sort of guess what a stealer and a dealer is, you know. Probably similar to America. 
So, yeah, yeah, so that's a bit of uh, useless knowledge we should have put in uh, <laughs> But since we're speaking about Glasgow, we could just talk about it then. So the next thing I'd like to speak about, guys, is uh, energy tokens and the development of our project and platform. So what I'm going to do is run through a quick overview of our pitch deck, some of the key points of it, some of the key things that people are interested in, what we're doing in our project, and really just the development of the energy tokens model itself and what we're actually creating. For people out there trying to understand what we're doing, essentially we're creating energy NFTs. So this is what we're actually going to be creating. We've been working on this for two years, non-fungible token but these are like asset-backed tokens. So, you know, I'll quickly just run through um, our PowerPoint presentation for anyone out there and give a bit of details on that. Energy tokens, blockchain, tokenization, energy NFTs. So, so if you start to look at the problem that we're trying to solve here, so essentially, if you were just looking at oil and gas, and obviously with energy tokens, we're focused on not only oil and gas, and renewable energy, nuclear, and mining, all different types of energy assets itself. But the problem is that the way that we have produced energy and developed energy infrastructure, the resources behind, you know, drilling for oil, access oil, is completely revolutionized over the last hundred years. The thing that hasn't changed is the way the energy assets have been acquired, held, and transferred. So if you acquire an interest in an oil-producing asset, then essentially you'll have this interest in this asset that is, um, you know, it, it's not changed over that time period. So it, it looking a bit like uh, in terms of percentages and how this is actually broken down, if you look at uh, an oil project itself and how it's structured, there's the landowner or farmer receives anywhere between 12 to 25% of the production, depending on each state. The, the operator energy company, they normally retain a controlling interest in this. The, the corporate management, the mutual fund, pension funds, IRAs behind it, and um, institutional investors, individual investors. And these are the people who actually own part of an energy project right now. I think what's happening is that it's very niche in order to actually acquire interest in these projects. It's uh, You have to be in the industry sector, normally an accredited investor for being an individual, and you need to have a certain amount of money to be able to actually invest. So what are the problems with energy producing assets? Well, it's difficult to sell and buy fractional interests. Direct investments are made through private negotiated transactions. Non-industry investors have limited access to these investments, limited liquidity opportunities by holders for non-controlling interest prior to the sale of the entire asset. And the legal convenience mechanism is antiquated through files and local land registries, etc. So essentially, as we looked at the first slide, the way we have transferred and held interest in energy assets haven't changed over the last hundred years. If you acquire an interest, it has to be filed in a local courthouse, the information's held there. You know, and if you wanted to sell this investment, so right now the problem is that if you acquire an interest into say an oil asset, it's going to give you distributions over a 25 year period. 
Now, as it uh, it's like a depletion curve, so as they get the you know the first three years in oil production in a producing asset is at peak production, and then it starts to tail off there as well. But that tail can go for twenty five years as well as been producing for seventy years. So for people out there, you've got this asset that's providing you distributions. But the problem really is, if you ever wanted to sell that asset, it is very difficult for you to sell it. It's like, who do you actually sell it to? And then normally it's someone else in the project. You never get what the valuation is normally worth. And again, if you think about it, unless you're involved in this specific sector and have the money involved to invest, you know, essentially you cannot invest in oil producing assets because you don't have the connections or you don't have the money to invest in that. And then how do you find out about these opportunities? So what is our solution? So we're tokenizing energy assets on the blockchain. So it's operating on a permission blockchain. We take all the data, we analyze the data in terms of understanding what the value of the project is and using artificial intelligence. So really these three key points are behind the platform itself. And that allows us to tokenize energy assets. And once we tokenize the energy assets or create an energy NFT. So right now, if you think about the life cycle of an oil project, uh, you own a non-operated interest in this project. So you're not the operator, you've got on a small uh, percentage. You know, right now, you're stuck in this life cycle of the project for 25 years unless the operator sells it. You know, under our system, uh, it's under the um, rule 144 holding period, within 12 months, you'll be able to sell your investment through tokens or energy NFTs. So the difference really being is you've taken it from 25 years to one year, but really what they're looking at in terms of this ability to come through is that this will be cut down to 90 days and eventually 30 days. So that original investment will be a credit investor, but once these tokens are on ATS, it opens up the market for non-accredited investors. So this is where it really democratizes the energy investment opportunity for people to invest in the projects themselves. It creates liquidity for illiquid uh, energy investments, and what it will do is it facilitates access to new capital for energy development projects. So this is actually the tokenization process itself. So just to run through that, you know, we are doing it with an oil and gas asset, but you can really do it with any renewable energy assets. We've acquired that wind lease up in Wyoming. Uh, we're working in a small solar lease and another wind lease just now as well. And we're looking for long-term leases whereby we'll create these tokens for the energy that's produced above the, uh, the ground. So the first thing you do is you take the energy asset. This information is then analyzed. So we're working with clearinghouses, we're working with other people to help analyze this. And the, the platform itself will provide this data and information available. So we'll provide financial information, we'll provide um, seismic surveys on these wells, we'll provide all sorts of data. In the same way they have to do this for any sort of capital raise right now, this information is going to be available. People will be able to know how much that asset's potentially worth. So this information will then be recorded on the blockchain. So, you know, we're using a, a, a Amazon blockchain service. So it's AWS, but then you can hash this information on the blockchain. So it's verifiable. People can always check it. 
But really, the, the area you've got to look at is this SPV, special purpose vehicle. This is what gets tokenized. This is a bit like why we're calling them energy NFTs. And this is the bit that the token holders will get. So they'll get financial statements, tax reporting, and then the distributions. And it'll either be cash distributions or it will be um, distributions in cryptocurrency. So we are looking to use the company Coinbase to be our escrow agent for the, the crypto side of the business. So if we get investment into any of these tokens in either Bitcoin or Ethereum, it won't be us that's handling this. This will be what Coinbase will be providing. But once it's actually tokenized, the equity ownership of each asset is converted into an SPV. So this is what the SPV is. And it's actually the SPV that gets tokenized. And this is where the, the end investor actually owns the tokens. These tokens are going to be available for trading on an alternative trading system. And this will be an SEC regulated ATS. They're looking for the ATSs to come online, you know, end of Q2, Q3 this year. So it's not that far away from this being fully operational in terms of this ability to sell the tokens. Yes, we can create the tokens now for the projects and you can have the tokens in your MetaMask wallet. But really what the, the real liquidity comes is when the ATS comes online. And what it really does is it results this end-to-end -end system which facilitates the purchase and sale of direct interests and energy producing assets via token transfer. And this is gonna to comply to US security and banking laws. So, but it really look, we're looking at the future, a great picture of Dave Rogers there. The goal of the company was always to be involved in renewable energy. We always wanted to be involved in the transition in energy. I just think COVID sped things up for so many people out there. If you look at renewable energy, it's difficult to invest in oil asset, it's even more difficult to invest in a wind farm or a solar farm right now. It's like, how do you own a piece of a solar farm or a wind farm that provides you distributions? So what energy tokens is going to tokenize both oil projects, renewable energy projects, and they're going to be operational side by side on an energy trading platform. So this means that as people get distributions in oil projects, what they're going to be able to do is by unlocking the liquidity in the oil projects, and providing investors distributions through the energy tokens platform. Essentially what we're doing is creating a pathway to speed up the transition in energy. And I think this is what is key. This is why I believe the blockchain will be one of the key factors in allowing us to speed up this transition in energy. And it's really by unlocking billions of dollars worth of capital tied into oil projects and then creating mechanisms for these oil operators or people involved in funding these oil projects to now direct that investment into renewable energy projects. I think it allows the investor as well as a method to diversify their portfolio. So they're not just going to be in oil and gas, they'll be able to have a certain amount of the investment in renewable energy. And then by us creating these in tokens rather than percentages, uh, what it does do is it opens up the market space to your sort of average Joe, if we talk about Joe Biden, um, to, to invest in renewable energy projects. So it gives this opportunity for anyone who's interested in investing. But really, this is a bit more in terms of the company history from Zion. Energy Tokens was established by Zion Energy in collaboration. So it just wasn't us that was leading blockchain and data analysis system, tokenization experts, regulatory and trading specialists 
to develop the energy trading platform itself, which we've now got operational as energytokens.io. You know, presently, we're the largest owner of energy tokens. So anyone that has shares in Zion Energy or has bought in with Zion Coin, you'll own a piece of this platform. And the way our investment is going to increase is as we bring on the new tokens and projects, Zion Energy through the energy trading platform will own a percentage of every single project through tokens going forward. So the bigger the projects we get on, the more projects we get on, the more diversified the projects we bring on there, the more opportunities that it's going to be with Zion Energy itself in terms of the growth of the company. You know, Zion Energy and how we got into this, we own various interests in oil assets throughout the United States. You know, and initially it was 2016, we set the company up. 2017-18, we started to get acquired interest into various projects. And it's really recently we acquired our wind energy lease. So that was us moving into renewable energy, which was exciting for the company. And then the other thing that we're looking to do is to, to continue to acquire interest in project and we become a fund of interest. So we acquired interest into 42 producing wells in Texas, and these are fractional interests. And what that does, it provides a good, um, you know, sounding board and going forward, we can acquire directly into producing assets. So if people say to us, will this project work? Well, it's actually working already. There's Zion coin ownership into multiple projects, and these are from mature producing assets to essentially drilling opportunities, to a wind farm, to mineral rights. You know, we've got multiple investments uh, across the company, but in going forward, the real growth is going to come from the energy tokens uh, trading platform because this is when we'll be able to create these energy NFTs and bring people on board. And then every single one that comes on board the website, we'll have an ownership of that. Welcome to Chewing the Cud. This is our favorite section of the show where we share useful or useless information depending on your perspective. Shep, share us something interesting. Yes! Enhancement of knowledge is the highest uh, level of re reasoning, logic, and mental functioning as far as I'm concerned. Yep. We learn all the way. We never stop learning. That's what's so amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Never stop. You can learn uh, new stuff from just about anybody, from the youngest uh, youngest child to the oldest old man. But, uh, and, you know, no matter how uh, insincere or whatever, how small the learning potential is, you still learn something from somebody every day. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and I've always found that to be quite amazing. Yeah. Plus, it's fun. I mean, this, this stuff oh, it is, is. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing the world change. You know, it used to be, you know, decades, you know, uh, of time that would go by before significant things would, you know, significant improvements or significant changes would come along. And then it just became, you know, a matter of a few years. And, and now it's, you know, months, you know, with, you know, with the internet connectivity and with, with uh, the visibility that you have into the projects that are going on, you know, folks in, in common industries are able to feed off of each other's discoveries and ideas at a much faster rate. And oh, so yeah. we're just accelerating uh, in terms of progress. 
So it's it's an exciting time to to be around and to see see where we're going. Oh, it is very much. Even though we're becoming old men. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm not that old, neither are you. <laughs> no, no. Oh, like I said, you know, keeping in into this this type of work uh, keeps you young. That it does. So, what got you into wind wind energy and wind projects? And I mean, what what piqued your interest and got you moving in this direction? Well, pretty much my uh, my you know my thought of you. I mean, uh, the reason why I don't attend college in Wyoming is because it doesn't match my mindset. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the reason I'm going to Colorado Technical University because it matches my mindset and my views and the way I see things. Yeah. You Excellent. Know? And that's the reason I chose the university I did, and they're pretty prominent out of Illinois as well. Fantastic. So, Good for you. You know, that's one thing anybody, they can't take uh, your knowledge from you. What you've learned in school will always stay with you. It always does. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keeping yourself well informed and keeping, you know, open to, you know, the sources of information and, and just trying to read something new every day. You know, try and try and instill that in, you know, in your kids, my son, and try to you know, let him know, keep himself engaged. You know, exactly. Especially all the new things that are coming online and operations management. It just boggles my mind. All the new precepts that they're actually introducing artificial intelligence into the supply chain network now yeah basically take over the summits of you know the operation manager's uh position where they have time to basically point more of their um perception and time towards the employees versus where in the years past they didn't they didn't have that they had to watch basically from the raw materials watching them be, be produced to, to the finished merchandise where they could send it down the supply chain network. Right. Which now with the technology, it, it makes the employees of the company and so forth, more of the centerfold in the front line of the whole company itself. Right. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's where the attention ought to be, you know, I mean, the rest of the monitoring, you know, with everything else going into the cloud, right. Where, where all of the things downstream and upstream in your supply chain are now having, you know, they're plugged right into the cloud and, you know, and yes, all of are. that data, um, you know, the data analytics that can be brought to bear, you know, with the AI, uh, you know, oversight, being able to see trends and being able to predict when you're going to have an interruption in your supply chain, being able to anticipate that and to move to alternate vendors, um, all and of that stuff is is, it, is perfect. It's amazing the way the artificial intelligence can do a broadband forecast potential for the future, you know, so there is no bottlenecks in the supply chain itself. That's right. what's so amazing in itself. Right, right. Just just making sense of all that data, being able to, um, as exactly. you said, predictive analytics and yep. and uh, and keep your supply chain intact and uninterrupted well, another thing we could talk about actually is quite interesting is last week you know we had such a great segment all about dave and the night rider thing and then nbc believe it or not you know the only person's watching is probably noxie and qatar and a couple other <laughs> random people that are watching this right now 
you know, like who's it? The NBC hit, nailed us for copyright infringement. Believe that, <laughs> one. you know, honestly, we were on YouTube for like the 10 seconds. Copyright infringement thing had to come down. Basically, a big thing saying no one's going to watch this unless you remove this the section with Michael Knight. And you click a button, and it's already got the section it wants to remove down to the second, and you just hit trim. So that last video, we've missed that, guys, you know. So, um, and, and you just said Michael Knight, so they're going to come after us for this one now. <laughs> I was actually looking, some guys made a homemade kit car, right? <laughs> oh, seriously, it has. So, basically, I'll bring this guy in. Hold on, let's see. Kit, <laughs> see, for 250 bucks, you can get your homemade kit and the thing in the door. That's actually quite good. It's not quite the same as the thing, though, is it? You know what I mean? So, but at least we're not going to get any sort of uh, violations from this guy, which is obviously, you know, decent from that perspective. So, but yeah, what I wanted to speak about this week in Chewing the Cud is the recall. Gavin Newsom, what's uh, happening there? Dave, Dave you're a big uh, Californian Democrat. Give us your insight into this. No, I mean, I mean, the election is going to be what it is. Whoever it is is going to just come with come with a platform, right? Come come with a plan and be able to execute on it. I don't know, you know, how much experience Caitlin has, you know, in terms of government work, but, you know, we'll wait and see. Again, the person's got to have a plan and they've got to be able to execute. Yeah, I, I think what was interesting is that 2.1 million people voted to recall Newsom. Um, of that, they, need, they had to get the 1.5 million, I think it was, to hit it. So they were looking for numbers. But they were saying over 35% of the people who voted for them were actually Democrats. But this right. shows how many people with small businesses that were closed down. And I think what sort of shoot them in the self in the foot was the fact that, you know, he, his little businesses were somehow allowed to open. And that day he was caught having the, the, the big jolly up with the yeah. doctors and that, you know. Everyone else yeah. stays at home. But that's it, it, that, it's not just him. It's like all politicians seem to like make the rules and don't stick by them. But right. uh, that really worked against them. And then now you've got Arnie Schwarzenegger coming out. He was the last governor from the Republican Party to win. And that was on a same in a recount type thing, mm -hmm. you know? But yeah. what's interesting about this is it's like who's running against them but Caitlyn Jenner, give the, the uh, users a bit of background about that, uh, Dave. <clears throat> no, like I said, I don't think she's got any background in, in government. I think she's just, you know, running, I don't know, because she thinks she can do a better job. And so, again, um, but, I mean, it's, you know, having a plan is one thing, but but you need, you need the connections, you need to be able to come in, and you need to be able to convince people and bring people across the, top, the aisle and, and get things done. So that remains to be seen. 
Um, as you said, there were some bonehead maneuvers, you know, in terms of, you know, public examples. I mean, we were talking about face masks on Zoom earlier. And yeah, of course, it doesn't make sense in terms of, you know, you catching or spreading anything on a Zoom call. But it's an example. It's an example that you're setting. So um, by example, there were some, yeah, like I said, some some bonehead moves by by Newsom and, and some inconsistent application of the of the rules in terms of who should close and who should open and when. Um, and so, yeah, so people are frustrated. Let, let me let, see if we can add this. This is Bruce Jenner right now. So this is... Not right now. <laughs> yeah, but obviously no, it's not right now. But look at... This is back in the 1976 Olympics. If you look at Bruce Jenner in 1976, he, he probably is like the best specimen of a man you, you would see. He looks like some sort of bronze Adonis. Now, what is what does this have to do with politics? <laughs> it's not that it's not really it's not it's chewing the cud. It's information yeah. about what's happening, you know. This is Bruce Jenner right now in 1976. And he's obviously transitioned to become a, a Caitlyn Jenner, the first trans person to actually run for a high political position. And that in itself, it sort of opens, you know, it breaks down barriers as well. And I think a place like California is one of these first places that can do this, you know. But if you actually look at this anti-trans bills in America right now, so let's look at these states, both excluding transgender youth from athletics and other anti-trans bills, Arizona, Colorado, this is including all three types of bills, restricting area to access. So it just goes to show you, even in places like America now, other than Pennsylvania anti-trans bills. So these are bills put up there. This is pretty amazing, really, you know. Access to health care in Florida. That is unbelievable, actually. But I know there's different rights. There's, but in terms of disability rights, etc., there's different disabilities in terms of, you know, people with Down syndrome can't marry people who are also with Down syndrome because this can affect their rights as well to access uh, disability rights that they've already receiving. You know, weird little laws that things have to change. And I think anything that people are marginalized, it's never a good thing, you know. And California is the best place to do it. And so, you know, I was speaking. Yeah, but it's true. California is a good place for this to happen. You know, it's just like people shouldn't be forced to be marginalized for anything they do, you know? I don't think. It's difficult to talk about for a lot of people. You know, it's like, how do we talk about this and bring it up there as well? But it's good to talk about it. And right. it's just, it's, you know, and I think it's when people start to focus on stories and people being marginalized and people being pushed to the side, it's just like, you know, it's just the world going forward doesn't want that. I think the new generation doesn't want that as well, you know? I think right. it's the younger people want these children, the opportunity to be there as well. So, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. I'm just, and, you know, we're looking for the time when, when it stops becoming a novelty and, and it gets back to the question of, can this person do the job? That's that's what it should be about. And it's not a matter of, you know, of, of pushing aside or not pushing aside. But I mean, like you said, it becomes more and more um, commonplace and, and people have an equal footing in terms of a chance to, you know, to, you know, get up and get elected and take their shot. 
So, yeah, so that's us uh, talking about transgender rights, Caitlyn Jenner, wind turbines. Shep's got the Biden 2020 hat on as well, you know. There you go. 2024 for Biden as well. Potentially. He's already the oldest president. He he would be the oldest president plus four. (laughs) Yep. But that's it. Age is only a number now anyway, guys. You know what I mean? It doesn't actually mean anything, you know. So it's good to see see older guys push the boundary because as we get to that age, then, you know, we still can sort of be in the game, as they say. So, well, thanks very much for today. It's been a bit all over the shop as usual, guys. But, you know, we spoke about that, did the demonstration on the platform, a bit of a pitch deck and what we're up to, a little bit about uh, Caitlyn Jenner and Gavin Newsom. And we'll see how they get on going forward and we'll bring other things up. So thanks again then, guys. Mm -hmm. Could you do one more thing? Yeah. Could you sing that song one more time? Because you did freeze a little bit. I'm, if you could sing the song one more time, I think you'll be able to cut it in. Yeah. Plus, I just want to hear you sing again. <laughs> we've got loads. Of, we've got loads of good songs. What's it? You are a Ouija, a dirty Ouija. You're only happy on Gyro Day. You're Mazza Stealer. You're Paz a dealer. Please don't take my hubcaps away. <laughs> we still, we've had so many good songs to sing, you know. But that was what I love that. That was my favorite one to sing, you know. And, was, and the other one they would sing is In Your Glasgow Slums, you're looking a bucket for something to eat. You find a dead rat and you think it's a treat. In your Glasgow slums. <laughs> and then we would sing that. But then you've got to remember, like, there's 20,000 of us singing that to them. And they've got 20,000 back. And if you go down to their stadium, he's even better. Because they've got, like, 50,000 singing and screaming at you, you know. So it was always good. You miss that in sport in America. You don't have that same local rivalry where you've got, like, a bigger wave support turning up, you know. And that makes a difference. Right.